Hi, and welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am your host, Steve Bissell. I'm an author and mental health counselor. Are you curious about therapy? Do you feel there is a lot of mystery about therapy? Do you wonder what your therapist is doing and why? The goal of this podcast is to make therapy and psychology accessible to all by using real language and straight-to-the-point discussions. This podcast wants to remind you to take care of your mental health, just like you would your physical health. Therapy should not be intimidating. It should be a great way to better health. I will demystify what happens in counseling, discuss topics related to mental health, and discussions you can have with your therapist. I also want to introduce psychology in everyday life, as I feel most of our lives are enmeshed in psychology. I want to introduce the subtle and not-so-subtle ways psychology plays a factor in our lives. It will be my own mix of thoughts as well as special guests. So join me on this discovery of therapy and psychology. Hi, and welcome to episode 35 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I'm Steve. If you haven't listened to episode 34 yet, I urge you to do so. Crystal Partney was a great interview, was very personal, was very open and able to share, particularly the story of her sister, among other things. And I really thought that it was worth the time. So I hope you go back and listen to that. And if you already listened to it, it's worth listening twice, I promise. But in episode 35, we are going to talk to Kristen Nazaro. Kristen is a lifelong mental health advocate and student turned into a multifaceted and passionate entrepreneur who's simply striving to live a life of purpose. She's always held a passion for understanding the mind and human behavior, which eventually merged her love for children in school psychology degree. However, entrepreneurship has found a grip on her and has changed her life for the better. And she is really enjoying that job. She's not 100% sure where her journey is going to take her, but she's obviously enjoying the ride at this point. I hope the interview goes well. I, I've known Kristen for a while. We've been talking offline for a few times now since probably last year. So hopefully you enjoy the interview as much as I do. Hi, and welcome everyone to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I'm so excited to have my guest today. We have kind of communicated through LinkedIn. We connected over Zoom several times. I've truly enjoyed all our conversations and you know we've been able to talk for hours when we schedule for what 30 minutes usually. So I feel great to be able to have her on because she's so interesting and has so many things that we can talk about. So Kristen Nazaro, welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. It's great to be here. So I, I hope that it's not as cold where you're at as it is oh. here in Massachusetts today. Oh my gosh, it is. It not sure exactly what it is outside, but it is cold. But unlike you, I get to have my heat on. I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell me all ever all my secrets of podcasting. People are gonna <laughs> know where I'm at and like locked into my basement with no heat, you know. <laughs> but that's what makes it fun. Exactly. So, well, Kristen, you know, I know who you are. We've talked yeah. a few times, but maybe, you know, people listening want to know more about you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, that's a loaded question that I feel like I'm not 100% good at answering yet because I feel like I've had so many journeys within my life. So I've started within, I wouldn't say I started, but I got my uh, school psychology degree. Uh, I was in that field for quite a long not quite a long time, like a couple years, went into it after not being sure what I wanted to do within the psych field after getting that degree. And then eventually during COVID, I came into and found a passion for entrepreneurship. 
I just read a lot of books, just got totally consumed by the idea of having my own impact beyond one-on-one settings, despite the love that I had for working with kids and the love for psychology. So I eventually went into something that was quite different. (laughs) I found my way into marketing and website design, specifically focused on therapists and helping them elevate their impact because I saw the need for it within post-COVID era when everyone needed help but wasn't able to find it. So I eventually found that and that's what I've been doing. I'm not sure where my path is going to take me if I'm going. I defer to year school in the process, so I'm currently in that year. Yeah, I'm just finding my journey, just wanting to make the biggest impact possible with whatever I'm doing. And the journey is always important because, you know, it's interesting. We have something, again, similar that I never really thought about until this moment. My actual degree from my master's is actually children and family therapy. Yeah. And we're both not working with children or families at this point. You're not doing, but it's been an interesting journey. I know what brought me to wanting to work with kids, but I'd like you to tell me a little more about that. How did you like, how do we go in school and go, oh, I want to be in school psychology or children therapy? Yeah, sure. So I guess it started when, after I got my bachelor's degree, I took a good like four years off because I was completely lost. I feel like a lot of people after they get a psych degree in the undergrad, they just don't know what to do with it because there are so many options that you can go into a million different things with a psych degree. It's very similar to like a communications degree. So I just took time off. I knew I had to go back. At least I thought I needed to go back at the time. So I was like, okay, I want to take time off to really decide what I want to do. And within that time, I found myself working in the school setting and just compelled by it. I worked in an after-school program and was like kind of like a lead teacher type role in it, which was pretty much a fancy way of saying you wrangle kids and you keep <laughs> yeah. without uh, while their parents are working and you try to do curriculum with them, but it doesn't always work because it's after school. What kid wants to do curriculum? But anyways, I just found a love for real, for working with kids, building that relationship. But I also really knew that I wanted to work in a psych field. I always loved studying the mind and human behavior and learning how actions and thoughts are always connected. So I eventually, through my own research, I found school psychology. It's not something that a lot of people know about, that there's a way to merge kind of a passion for working with kids in the school setting with psychology and mental health. But yeah, I found that. And I was like, this seems like the perfect opportunity with me. Yeah, I went into that. And as I, every time I work with kids, I just always have this like sense and this, the sense of fulfillment and just like being happy and just like I'm making a difference. And that's what kind of led me to the field and staying in it. Well, I give you a lot of credit for going back, doing the after school wrangling. I mean, teaching. And making a difference with children is certainly something that really was my passion too. I learned a long time ago that it is not the children that I struggle with in my work. It's the parents. So therefore I decided to walk away. I don't work with kids anymore. And uh, (laughs) yeah, if you're, if you're my former client, you're a kid and you hear that understand kid, that wasn't about you. It was about the parents, but you know, I'm not leaving them behind. (laughs) 
and not being to me, yeah. it's just hard because, you know, I, I've had too many uh, experiences where you work hard with a child to change maybe their anxiety, their depression, maybe work on their trauma. And it takes like four words from the parents to just absolutely destroy it. I totally get that. Yeah, uh, that's something why I kind of want to focus on like if I do again, I'm not sure where my journey is going to take me. But if I do go back to working with kids and either in the school setting or on my own through other entrepreneurial journeys, I really want to have an emphasis on working with the parents as well, because what you said is so, so true. That's something I realized within my years of the school setting, because I've been in school programs and I've worked in them for probably were five years of my life and I just you just realize that you can do something within the school setting and you can help with that behavior in the school setting but as soon as the parents pick them up if the kid knows that they can get away with stuff they are not going to take anything you learned to heart and they're not going to they're not going to internalize it so I really would want that to I feel like that has to be the focus of any anytime you're working with kids you're working with the parents too well yeah well again kudos to you I uh <laughs> As uh, if my client is listening, one of my la- my last teenager turned eighteen in December. And oh wow, you remember that? Oh yeah, I remember everything about my kids. Can't tell you his name because of HIPAA, and also I'm crappy with names. But <laughs> you know, the only reason I worked with my last two seventeen uh, year olds was the parents were very supportive and were willing to implement stuff I work on with them. And if they had a difficulty with what I've said, they call me. I think that that to me is, you know, you, you have parents who are willing to do that and you have parents who get, you can't set limits on my kids. Yeah. Cause you don't. And so. (laughs) Right. Right. Not sure. Not not sure if I'm selling child psychology really well, (laughs) but. Uh, uh, Trust me. I've already thought about all of these myself. You're not telling me any new information. (laughs) But I think it's always important to remember, you know, you got to be comfortable with what you decide. And to me, the four years, you know, you talked about your four years off to me was I had, I graduated in 98, went back to school, probably in late 2000 for my master's. And I worked in a supermarket for a year full time before I could find a job here in the United States where I became a mental health, uh, not a mental health counselor. Whoa, that's, I I worked in a group (laughs) home. You know, among other things, you know, working with adults with developmental disabilities and really doing the, you know, down and dirty work, which makes me appreciate sitting here on my butt and talking to people at this point in my career. Right. So I think that it's important to have those um, those kind of experiences. You talked about those experiences, about being a Mm -hmm. um, and all the respect in the world. Working with kids is hard and it's not because we're trying to be mean here. But but one of the things that I would ask you is that besides being like kind of like a, a teacher, did you do anything else during those four years that was really kind of like eye-opening for you? Well, a lot of what I did was very, I would say, very similar to the path that you had because right after grad, not graduate school, right after my undergrad degree, I took some time when I took initially took the time off, I moved, made a random spur of the moment decision to move to Philly with my one of my best friends at the time. And it, in hindsight, probably wasn't the best decision. It was just a decision like, oh, I'm 22 years old now. I, I don't have anything tying me down. Let's move away. But then it came to where's the money coming from? And I can't find a full-time job. So during that time, I did a lot of serving. And I feel that's kind of been what I always go back to. Even now, as a 29-year-old, I still serve one day a week. And I feel like that's 
helped me so much within the field as well. Just like just the patience I've developed with people and just helping people with kind of their situations. Even if I'm just waitressing and just taking their orders, I'm still hearing a lot of the that's going on in their world. So I've developed that sort of patience through waitressing. And I've also done like, I feel like that's mostly what I did during that time. And also like random odd jobs, sales jobs, and then just all the school-based things. It wasn't anything consistent whatsoever. <laughs> well, I think that between, you know, waitressing and bartending, I tell people like they're like unofficial therapists. Yes. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Okay, so you don't have the, the training, but you learn that. And again, psychology was I always tell people the way you got to talk to your customers, it also weighs on how they will respond to you and it really helps. And I, did you find that particularly helpful for you now that you're somewhere else in your journey today? Yeah, in terms of like waitressing and just learning how to respond to people and learning kind of how to empathize with where they're at has been hugely impactful for me. I remember one situation in particular at the restaurant that I'm at now for a day a week that these customers had like, I could tell that they were having a difficult time, but they were like the difficult customers. I get anyone that's been in the service industry and the waitress industry knows those difficult customers that you never really feel like you can get anything right from. So I just, I feel like I held my patients very well there. I just wanted to serve them in the best way possible and just always came back to them with a smile. And then towards the end, we got to a conversation with them and I found out that they had just come from a funeral or a wake. So just like situations like that, like truly taught me, you never know what someone else is dealing with. So if you can always treat someone with kindness, it can go a huge way and really make their day. And I think that when, I can't remember if it's Socrates or I think it's Socrates who said, uh, when you meet people, remember they're having a fight inside of them that you have no idea about idea. and always be very right. careful about what you say. So I think waitressing yeah. did that for you. Working in the supermarket definitely did that for me. Yeah. And I'll uh, always be grateful for my years of experiences there, not only dealing with employees and customers, but just the overall psychology behind it. Yeah. I always give a shout out to my former boss on that, who probably is not listening because he only speaks <laughs> French, but nonetheless, you know, <laughs> Rene, uh, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> always remember Rene because he was so good to me. But yeah, you know, so in your journey right now, now that you're 29, you get into a point where you're interested in entrepreneurship. Mm hmm. That doesn't happen like, oh my God, let's do entrepreneurship. <laughs> I've worked with kids. No. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. <laughs> what brought right. you that part of your journey? Where what brought yeah. you to that point? Yeah, it does seem pretty random now that you think about it, right? <laughs> so, I, the six-year-old's giving me a hard time. I wonder how he's gonna be as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I want to be a business owner now. <laughs> but uh yeah, so I think it really started during COVID and when we had that time off and I wasn't pretty much doing anything. I had to say, we obviously had to stay home. We couldn't go to school. We couldn't work. So I wasn't work. I was working with kids over Zoom and everything had completely shifted and changed. But I really took that time to develop myself. And I eventually went down, for lack of a better term, a ton of rabbit holes. And like I just, like I said, I there was one book that was kind of like the catalyst for my entrepreneurial journey that was called The Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco. 
And I think I've told you about that in our conversations and not a hundred percent. Yeah. So, (laughs) so yeah, that one really, it just really shaped my mindset that there's a way that we're all really taught to kind of fit into this box that would to just like go to college, get a career, just do the nine to five, not really grow past where we think is possible. We're all within our culture. We'll taught that. And there's, I just, it just taught me that there's more to it. And there's a way to really elevate the impact that I would want to have on the world by doing something myself. And especially being in the school system, something that I realized is how many limitations there are in the school system to what you're able to achieve. So like, there's so many politics and there's, yeah, I see you shaking your head. It's like, <laughs> it's ridiculous of how much that you're not able to do that you think you're able to do. So I just really, after a lot of like rabbit holes, really just reading as much as I could about starting a business, getting a bunch of courses, again, while I was home, just really developing myself, I developed this mindset of there is a way to maximize my impact beyond just one-on-one settings. And that the only way to really grow and to really scale something is to do it on your own. There's only so much a school system can do for you. I agree wholeheartedly. Let me just say that we're listening to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am Steve listening to Kristen Nazaro. We are talking about her journey into entrepreneurship right now. And yes, you did tell me about that book. The other book that you really kind of like screwed up my brain with in a good way is uh, Ask Powerful Questions. Yes. And that's, I believe. Love it. Will Wise, I believe. Will Wise, yes. I had written that that down because that's a book that really had a great impact. We were talking about how to be entrepreneurs and all that. But wanted to mention that among other books that you've commented about. So yes, you've mentioned about three different books. Can't remember them all. Yeah. <laughs> I told you before, 46, you know, getting more like, you know, kicking. I can't remember all the books that I've read either. Whenever someone asks me what my favorite book is, I'm like, please, I have no idea, even though I've read so, so many over the past two years. And what's funny is before these past two years of like post COVID, I call this era, I had really only read for school and I had really only saw school as the opportunity to learn. And now I see myself as more lifelong learner. There's always something else that you can be learning, no matter how professional you, no matter how much experience you have in something. I think that what you've said is absolutely true. That's why I read a lot more than I used to. In fact, I have more books than I've read, so to speak, (laughs) you know, and ask powerful questions is a good one. My default, when people ask me about the therapies therapy books that I love. I go back to uh, two main books that I really like. And the first one is always David Burns's book on feeling good and new mood therapy, which brought me to this field. So I always default to that. And then The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown is a book that had a lot of impact on the work that I do. A lot of people with anxiety have perfectionism issues and all that. So, But I've learned to also answer the question, like, what type of book are you talking about? Are you talking about a self-help book? Are you talking about a psychology book? Are you talking about a fiction book? Are you talking about fantasy? So that way, when people ask me, which one's your favorite book, I try to have all- narrow it down. (laughs) Because The Alchemist is a book that was sent to me by a friend and made a lot of impact in my work too. So, 
Yeah. I also forgot to mention going back to how I got into school psychology and working with kids. It, thinking about it now, it was actually a book that I read in my high school human behavior class. It was called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, mm-hmm. I believe was the name of it. And it was just that personal, that story of what could happen. It, what happens if a child doesn't get what they need, learning how that can you can still change that and you can still make a difference, even if someone has probably one of the most horrible human experiences. And that was like, it was like 12 case studies, I believe, have killed kids like that. Yeah. And I know that uh, for older people like me, there was a movie called Nelly that uh, Jodie Foster did mm-hmm. in the late 90s that was very powerful, kind of like, not obviously it was fiction, but kind of explains how we can change the humanity of people despite how horrendous conditions from trauma and being yeah. raised in certain ways. Definitely, definitely. So the other thing that you talked about, about entrepreneurship, one of the things that I say that the biggest advantage of my job is that I do not have to deal with politics. That's why I was shaking (laughs) my head because politics drive me absolutely batty. And we're not talking about Republican, Democrats, Green Party, Libertarians here. We're talking about politics within the workplace environment. Yes, how do you think that has impact you and maybe people you've worked with or talked to and stuff like that? Um, good question. So I feel like within the school system itself, because that's where my main experience comes from, there's, like I said, there's so much that you can't do and it really makes you feel like what I'm doing isn't important. And like, just based just like who you have to report to and kind of all the hoops that you have to go through to get something done and then finding out that that thing isn't possible no matter how hard you try, especially in school psych. There's so many limitations to getting kids the help that they need in special education and also in counseling because school psychologists are kind of responsible for both and depending on the school district. So and just learning now, talking to other therapists and school psychs or counselors within the field, there's such a shortage and school, they're not able to really help in the way that they want to because of how little resources they have available to them. So just having all those things kind of put together to like, it really impacts what you feel like you're able to do. And then it's like, oh, what's the point of trying? Because if if I do try, I'm just going to get my hopes up and then get shit on. So I really felt that within the school system as well with the teachers I've worked with, the other, the school psychs that I've talked to and just that overall negative mindset of not being able to do what you come into the field to do. And it leads to so much burnout. Yeah. Burnout is really the, I think what my experience with so many people that start their own private practice is that they go from a burnout working in schools, working in that environment, working in a social service agency, social service industry, and just getting burned out by all the politics and the ambushes that come up with that. And you want to help so many people, but there are so many ways that get in the way for that. So I I think that the politics, let's, let's not forget, and I'm not going to forget, and I will piss off people, some of the diff- some of the difficulties because you are you you know maybe you have uh you're transgendered or you don't identify with any particular gender you you have yeah. a, you are a woman you are black you are asian you're hispanic and yes i'm pissing on a lot of things on the united <laughs> states that still piss me off and i'll take the bullet for that for any day 
because I think that even being a man sometimes in this field can be very detrimental to you because it it has played a factor in some of the politics I've had to deal with. Right. Yeah. I can wholeheartedly see that. And if if you're not a specific specific person or hold or, or true to a certain stereotype, it could really impact what you're able to do. I know in the school psych field that it's predominantly white women like myself. (laughs) So if you're not that, there's, you just feel again, like the world's, it's kind of like that self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You feel like the world's out to get you. You feel like you're not able, you feel like there's so many things holding you back that you're not able to do the thing. And then you don't even try to do the thing because of all these things that rightfully so you fear are holding you back. Right. And, you know, I'm not crying for anything. You know, I am a white male in the United States and I'm an American. I have a lot of advantages that are just not written in stone, but they're kind of there. But being a man sometimes who work in this mental health field and has, I'm a pretty direct person that has played Mm -hmm. against me several times because I don't play political games. I don't play be nice to that person or say nice things about that. I just say what I say. So it definitely plays a factor for right. me. And I'm assuming it's the same thing for women. And yeah. I've heard so many stories, especially in schools that, you know, you're not in with the principal, you're not in with the head right. person of whatever, then you're, whatever you decide, it's like, ah, no funding, but you know, Julie's really nice and she's going to get her funding for her, yeah. whatever project she decided. I'm not putting any, anyone down and I don't know any Julie's per se, <laughs> yeah. but just saying that there is a factor that, that comes from that. So you know, you're, you're coming into all this, you're moving on your entrepreneurship at this point. We didn't talk about mental health therapy yet. And we've informally talked about how we work with other people. But what are your views of mental health therapy? Good question again. So I feel like inter- there's so much changing when it comes to mental health therapy. Like I feel like we saw it used to be primarily talk therapy and that's kind of where the direction that most therapists took and it's still important don't get me wrong but now there's so many other options like emdr i can't think of the other ones off the top of my head you can probably help me with that (laughs) but there's so much other research going on for mental health therapy that is really helpful and and beneficial and i think in terms of the i something that i've seen a lot of especially being on linkedin being online is how much more willing people are to talk about mental health therapy and talk about getting treatment i know that there was like this thing going around of people i'm not sure your views on this people showing their pills for what they take for like what their psychiatrist might prescribe to them and just like showing that i am okay getting mental health treatment i am okay putting that out there So I like how a lot of the views of mental health therapy are changing. I still think there's a lot that needs to be done to make it not only more acceptable online, but also more acceptable in the workplace for those who do work, because that a lot of people fear, like, if I say that I'm getting mental health treatment, I'm going to lose my job or this or that, and that it does happen. And there's still so much that needs to be done there um, with friends and family, all of that stigma. But I think things are moving in a positive direction. I mean, it's, I agree with you. And I think uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is part of it. Yeah. Neurology in general has really opened doors for psychology and seeing what part of your brain is being kind of like turned on by XYZ, whether it's anxiety or depression or schizophrenia. 
and there's a lot of work. And, you know, medication, I love that you mentioned that because for me personally, you know, I tell people, do you need medication? I frankly don't know. But if they're going to help you think differently, then, hey, maybe that's what you're going to you're yeah. gonna work on. But I also have a specific view on medication and there's certain meds you won't ever stop. But right. I, for, I, I take Wellibutrin during the winter months because of my own seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. And I have no qualms saying that. I'll say it to any of my clients. Now it's obviously on a podcast, so the world will know. <laughs> but I think that it's okay to talk about medications for what you need. So for me, I say, yeah. take your XYZ med. I don't want to promote anything. And so we can work on the thought process. So maybe you can get off right. those meds. But if you need your meds for the rest of your life, what is wrong with that? No one is afraid of saying, I take you know, my insulin for diabetes. So yeah. why, why, would right. we, why would we be like, oh, no, you're really, you're taking medications for your mental health? Health. It's in the name, health. Yeah. And mental health is just as, if not more important than physical health. The mind is the biggest computer known to man. <laughs> I another book that I read, Limit uh, Limitless by Jim Quick. I'm not sure if we talked about that, but yeah, that kind of taught me more about the powers of the mind when it functions properly. And a point that you brought up is kind of that everyone needs something different. Some people may need medication. Some people may be fine with just psychotherapy. So just like giving people the freedom to explore what works best for them without feeling less of a person for that exploration is huge. Being able to give that space, that's part of the therapist's point of, you know, I think that that's what we got to do. And then when clients bring up medications, I say, look, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a a psychiatrist. I am not a nurse practitioner, but let's explore if you think that would help you. And you're absolutely right. We need to be able to rid that stigma as you talked about. Do you feel that, you know, talking about stigma, for me, you're right. Mental health, you talked about mental health being more important than even physical health. And to a certain extent, I agree with that. It's always going to be in my messages. We need to be able to go mental, get mental health treatment, even if it's once a year. Hey, I'm good. Thumbs up. Just like we do a physical health treatment. But what do you think the barriers continue to be in regards to stigma around mental health, even after two years into a pandemic at this point? I feel like it's a big part of it that I've seen is, yes, people talk about it like individually, but a lot of the like thing, like news doesn't talk about it. For example, like I saw one post on LinkedIn that was like, if we, I don't want to get political here, but if people were uh, the main cause of death were for men under 34 years was COVID, then it'd be all over the news but it's actually suicide and no one talks about that. So the more that we don't talk about it in those kind of larger atmospheres and environments, the less likely things are to change because kind of we need that catalyst. Like we need something to pull us all together. And I think a lot of people individually are trying to do that. It's just about getting all of those messages together to really make the impact that it's able to make. I agree a hundred percent. And Suicide, you know, there's things that we don't talk about in this world. Suicide is one of them and miscarriages for women. And, yeah, you know, women go through miscarriages and it's like, and I can't remember the exact stat, but it's like one out of five, one out of four. It's pretty high. But yeah, let's keep that in the closet. Let's not talk about that either. 
And I think that suicide is something that I feel we throw, oh, something happens, someone commits suicide, they'll throw 14 resources at it for three days. And after yeah. three days, like, all right, no one's suicidal anymore, right? We're going to be good for the rest <laughs> of the year. I mean, right. that's the part of suicide that really bothers me. It's like, oh, yeah, I went yeah. away after three days. Everyone's good. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot with suicide, something that I, I'm not sure how true this is, but something like, I guess a theory that people have as to why it's not talked about is because they fear other people. It will put that in other people's mind, the idea of suicide. It's like, they feel like, oh, people don't know it. People don't know it exists. So once we talk about it, people are going to know it's exists and they're going to, but well, another part of that is seeing it as glorified because you really have to be careful with that fine line because if you give too much attention to one person for doing that and someone is kind of on the edge or kind of in that bad mental place, they may see that as a reward of going through with something that's already in their mind. So I do definitely see that. But again, it's all about finding that balance of, yes, we can talk about it. And yes, we can really pick we can try to make a difference, but we can also, we also have to not glorify it. Well, I think it's also something that, you know, I've done the work um, in, in a previous incarceration, incarceration, incarnation, I did incarceration too, but not personally. (laughs) I was actually a suicide prevention uh, trainer in the state of Massachusetts. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that we, the first thing it's like, if you're not willing to talk about it, you're already behind the eight ball. And yeah. you need to put it out there. And when my clients seem to be hesitating and all them, like, are you suicidal? And they kind of open up what 95% of the time. And they basically, oh. I think that, so I think that for me, if you lift the stigma as a therapist and as a human being and say, Hey, are you having suicidal it's, thoughts? Yeah. You know, suicide, Just asking about it. I, I feel that again, maybe it's my own preconceived notion. Maybe it's crisis work for 15 years that's done this to me, but, I feel like everyone has had a thought of suicide. You know, everyone has said like, and I'm not saying that they acted on it, but you know, like I wish, you know, I wouldn't wake up or the world may be better off without me or stuff like that. And if you're able to bring that up and let people talk about it, you'd be surprised how often that saves that situation. And it's important to talk about it for me. Yes, I can definitely. I can 100% agree and resonate with what you just said when I, I'm not sure if we've talked about this. I don't think so. But when I was a teenager, I've had, I've definitely had some of these thoughts, especially being, I was someone that was very introverted, didn't really have many friends, didn't really talk to many people. And I have had those thoughts of what, what could be the worst if the world didn't exist without me, no one knows me anyway, type of thing. So that kind of is what led me to one, what I wanted to do with kids and what I continue to want to do with kids. So they don't feel the same way I did. And they know and someone's always in their corner. And also what I do now with, uh, with therapists in general, just making sure that other people are able to get the mental help that they need. So they don't feel like I did when I was going, when I was in like a somewhat dark place. Powerful stuff here. You're listening to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. Kristen is the guest. Steve is the host. And we're having a pretty heavy conversation about suicide, which is important to talk about, in my opinion. And thank you for sharing your personal story. It means a lot to me. Forget about this podcast thing. Just as a human being to a human being means a lot to me. Thank you for that. Let's maybe shift gears. I mean, it's not that we can't talk about suicide for the next hour, 
but maybe talk about more about entrepreneurship because you know one of the things that you you've been working on in the last year or so or more than that but at least a year um is entrepreneurship what do you think is the the mindset of entrepreneurship what does that mean because i think that it's not given to everyone no it's not and it's it's not something that we're taught right we're like I said, we're taught to kind of be in this box and really have the mindset of an employee and listening to our boss and really trying to grow, go up the corporate ladder. No, even if we're not in corporate, if we're like obviously an agent of whatever job you may find yourself in, it's very much the same of just trying to please others so we grow to the top of that company, but not really trying to do something ourselves. So in terms of the mindset of an entrepreneur, I feel like that is probably 90% of growing a business is really developing the ability to believe in yourself and believe in your actions. And it's not something that's developed overnight. And it's not something that hap- that stays the same day to day. I know this within the business that I do now, but sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm doing great things. And a lot of people are believing in me and I'm getting, and my message is getting out there. And then sometimes I feel like, I, what am I doing? This isn't, this isn't working. I feel like a failure. <laughs> so it's, it's very much a yep, day-to-day yep. thing, but in terms of the mindset of an entrepreneur, I feel like it's just being able to believe really be able to believe that your actions will pay off and really see them paying off as well. I do a lot of meditation visualization of myself of myself when I feel like I would be the most successful, kind of what that would look like. And I feel like that's been hugely impactful journaling, like future tense as well. Just all of that has played into a part of really building my own confidence. But again, it's not something that takes a lot of consistent work and it's not, it won't be developed overnight. No way. <laughs> Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of important things. And I think that one of the things that you talked about is confidence. And yeah. I, I've actually haven't done it about a year now, but I used to run a class called starting your own practice, private practice for both mm-hmm. those who wanted to start. And a lot of people have succeeded, but I also saw a lot of people struggle because of their own self-doubt. Yeah, that's a huge one. You talk about journaling, meditation, visualization. I think positive affirmations definitely work. Yeah. How have you integrated that stuff even with work with other people at this point? Mindset is, it's such a void because like you can help people and you, you really, you can't tell people what to do, how to think because their minds the minds don't work like that. If you, you can't tell people, oh, think like this, and then that's habitually ingrained in them. So I feel like it's just a lot of being around. What's helped me is being around people that embody the mindset that I want to have. So in terms of who I connect with on LinkedIn, who I have conversations with one-on-one, like the conversations we've had, other business owners that I talked to and that I just, for back, lack of a better term, pick their brain. But those conversations have always been helpful for me. And that's kind of, I guess, one of the reasons that as an entrepreneur, I wanted to put a pause on being in the school environment too, because I felt like the people that I was around on a day-to-day basis were ones that were just felt very stuck. 
and they didn't want to grow and the they didn't have the mindset of wanting to grow. They had, and that kind of impacted me too. I felt I dreaded going there every day because of the people I was around and that negative mindset. So I feel like being around the right people, reading the right things, surrounding yourself with just not, not fake positivity, because I never condone that, but just surrounding yourself with the type of person that you want to be. Yeah. And toxic positivity is probably one of my biggest pet peeves in our world that exists. So I definitely yeah. get that. I put this on, uh, I commented on a post on this that I forget who said it. It was someone within the psychology field that um, they put something out about positive fake positivity. And I put about how there's a difference between fake positivity and having a growth mindset. You can be positive when the situation calls for it, but if the situation is more negative, there's a difference between telling yourself, oh, this is awesome and telling yourself, oh, this sucks now, but I'm able to make it better and I'm able to grow from this experience. Yeah, I think that the overnight success that people are looking for in entrepreneurship, I think is very difficult. And I, one of the thoughts that I explain is that whatever overnight success that you think exists, they've been doing that crap for like five years. And yeah, overnight for you yes. <laughs> because you didn't know about it for five years. But yeah, no such thing. As and people don't success. post and people don't put up about that. <laughs> I think that the, the struggles are real and sometimes saying, you know, oh, I'm having trouble getting clients or what have you. Telling people like, yeah, it can be hard. What are your difficulties? Yeah. Not going, ah, you'll get them soon. Because that drives yeah. me absolutely bonkers, people who say that crap. And there's a way to problem solve that too. Like if you admit that something sucks, you're able to problem solve and be like, okay, how do I make this better for next time? Or what part of this sucked? Or what part of this didn't work? So maybe I can experiment with changing that to make it work next time. But if you have that fake positivity, then you're not learning from it and you're just, you're attributing it to something that doesn't exist. And you're also not kind of like paying attention to what you need to improve. You're just saying, pointing fingers, that sucks. Yeah. You know, no, you got to work on yourself too. <laughs> what about other challenges for entrepreneurs? What do you think you would talk about there? Yeah. Everything. <laughs> do, you, do you have more than an hour? <laughs> I, I try have, to keep. Do you have I, maybe seven days? <laughs> uh, well, we could talk offline, but I mean, like, definitely for uh, maybe thinking about a podcast audience that has probably yeah. an hour's worth of attention span. <laughs> yeah, right. So I would say just getting, probably getting started and really making the decision and sticking with something has always been my greatest challenge. Once you walk into the world of entrepreneurship, you realize there's so many opportunities beyond what you thought was possible within the school setting and when going through that and what you were taught. But uh, just there's so many things that you can take action on. It's really about prioritizing, okay, what's going to help me get to where I want to go and really clarifying where you want to go to. Like success is such a buzzword, but it means nothing if you're not able to put a monetary, one, a monetary value on it, but also if you're not able to see what success looks like to you. Like for some people, success can be just live, not living on the streets. While some people, it could be living on a yacht and having five cars. Success is totally different for everyone. So what does it mean to you? 
once you clarify that, you really have to make, you kind of have to backtrack and see what actions can I take now to help me get to this place in X amount of time. But that's the most challenging part for me and also, and just like managing my time to make it the most effective that I want to be. Managing our time, I think, is um, one of the strong the things that I talk about the most with people who are starting, because they can spend. You can spend forty hours on just social media. You can spend forty hours on networking. You can spend forty hours on anything else, but you got to make you know what's more important to you, and how are you going to get your clientele? And I kind of remind people that you know networking in a small area can be more beneficial than spending. 40 hours on social media, but if you're going to be in a coaching mindset, maybe social media is your friend. Maybe your website is your friend. It depends on what you want to do. Yeah. And I think what's so important to realize is that what works for one person may not work for you. And that's okay. I think with social media, we see, we get all this advice thrown at us because everyone wants to be providing value and sharing what they know to get more clients in their door. But you have to realize that what works for them may not work for you and your audience. So it's really not about just taking advice for at face value and just applying it without thinking about it. It's about put, infusing it into your audience, your business, your mindset, and what will help you get to the goals that you want. But that's definitely one a challenge as well, but kind of learning that difference. Sometimes it's the the buzzword of ROI, right? And yes, you know, I tell people all the time, my return of investment is actually time. So if I invest yes. 20 minutes on something and it gets me three clients, that's worth it. If it takes me right. four vi- five hours to barely get the attention of someone who comments once, that's not worth it to me. And right. for me, it's not the money of the client, but more the, invent, the, the, the investment the client makes in me and the work he, they want to do with themselves. So it's always about yeah. what are you looking for? I don't want to be a social media darling. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to be a podcast darling, but you know that's a work <laughs> in progress. Yeah. And you made a great point too. Like If you don't like it and you don't want to do it, then don't put your time into that. And time is so much more valuable than the money part because as an entrepreneur your time your time is pretty much your revenue like if you don't you have to learn how to prioritize it because no one's telling you what to do at a certain time you need to see what's gonna help you the most and where your time's the most valuable like something i realized early on is i like we talked about, I literally want to talk to everyone because I love talking to people and I love building those connections. And I like networking to learn and pick the brains of others. But then I realized, oh, a half hour call turns into an hour call, like with some people. <laughs> and then it doesn't help and it doesn't lead to anything positive for my business. It may eventually, but it's is that time. I'm not saying that hours has and hours definitely has, but other people... Oh, definitely, I don't, definitely I don't, not. May have not been the best use of my time. I, I don't feel that you're talking about me because I feel like our relationship has been uh, very symbiotic in many ways, in a good way. And certainly, yeah. hopefully, the chemistry is coming through here because I really feel that that's something that I've really enjoyed our time. And yeah, sometimes maybe we could have done what we talked about in a half hour versus an hour. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's good to enjoy our conversations and uh, certainly. You know, um, as as we've talked about, and let let's let's let the audience in on this. 
she will be doing my new website. Don't go to my website now and say, oh, that's her work. That is not her work at all, but she will be doing my new website that will be coming yes. out in the future. So definitely there's been a good investment in that way. And for me as an entrepreneur, I can't work with someone I don't, someone I don't like. I cannot yeah. work. I, I just, this is not something I'm willing to do. Same. My podcast costs me money to put it out there, but I'd rather do that than endorse a product I don't even believe in. And yeah. so I, I'll take the I'll take the shot any day of the week. But if I find the right combo, then hey, you know, any coffee company right. is willing to uh, sponsor me, please yeah. drop me a line. But ultimately, right. I think that entrepreneurship, you can chase the money, but at what price? And not only right. financially, but mentally and right. time wise, because I don't want right. to be tied to. I got to do 14 spots for like, and this is not a joke. I am a, a, a man shaving company. Uh, I'm like, no, I'm not. How's that therapy? I don't have a clue. This, and, yeah. like, and I'm not willing to invest my time on that stuff. Right. And I think you brought up a great point as well, that something that I've had a lot of trouble with is, and I feel like a lot of your listeners may too, that are going into private practice, learning how to say no to opportunities that don't serve you. And because as helpers, we want, sometimes want to be able to offer ourselves to everyone. And without thinking about whether it's a good one business opportunity or good use or second good use of our time. So just learning that it's not a bad thing to turn down opportunities if they don't serve you or your time or what you're trying to do the best. And it does take time to really look like I preach this so much and still I have trouble saying no a lot of the times too. So it does, it takes time to really develop that skill, but saying no isn't a bad thing. It just opens up more opportunities for better yeses that serve you the best to happen. I think that the other thing that I find with therapists, and you can uh, agree or disagree with me, there's this poverty mindset that comes play and comes right. to play. If you worked in a social service field, you've worked in a school setting, the money is limited. We want to do what we yes. love. We don't. We, I don't think anyone becomes a therapist, social worker, and say, "Gee, I'm going to be a millionaire." Mm -hmm. But I think that we have that poverty mindset that comes from, oh, we don't have any money, we're funding's down or what have you, that you sometimes carry into your entrepreneurship. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. It's something that I've seen a lot with the therapists that I work with that are just coming into their own private practice from agency work. Like you really develop this mindset of having to really penny pinch because you're not sometimes not able to get the funding or you're not receiving the pay that you deserve. Like I talked to one person that's in agency work or that is, I think she's doing her clinical hours now and the pay difference between like that and like having your own practice is absolutely insane to me. <laughs> and just, but it really teaches you that mindset of, okay, am I going to have enough money and I need to penny pinch. It's you don't think about investment. You think you don't think about what's going to be the best investment for you. You think about saving as much as you can, and then that really comes with you when you go into your own business. And then you have to learn how to make proper investments. And a lot of the times, that is they are hefty. And sometimes they're sometimes those that come into 
go into their own private practice aren't willing to do that out the gate. And that can be really harmful down the line. I agree wholeheartedly in remembering that your value of yourself needs to be superior to everything else. Yeah. And I can't believe it's been an almost an hour already. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) I was going to say, I've always enjoyed our conversations. This is amazing. I continue enjoy. And then yes, when my new website will be up, you obviously will be the one doing it for me. And that's not, that's part of a small plug that I'm doing for you, but maybe, (laughs) maybe you can do your own plug instead of me saying, I will try my best. (laughs) So my business is my thrive digital. I help therapists, um, anyone in the mental health industry that really wants to elevate their impact through their practice and what they're doing, create websites, do a little bit of digital marketing through SEO, better known as the Google thing. So search engine optimization. Yes. (laughs) Help getting you to the top of Google so more people can see what you're able to do and connect with a therapist that really has values that are true to them. And that's kind of what I want my business to focus on, really bringing your unique value to light. So hopefully I'm able to do that for Steve and you can find me at mindthrivedigital.com. I will make sure that I put that in the show notes and uh, people can go right there to the website. I can't tell you how much I had a good time, Kristen. This has been amazing. I looked at the time and I went, oh crap, it's been... (laughs) And now, so I, it, in a good way, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I hope people go see your website. I hope that people enjoy my website that you're going to create. But I, I also really appreciate the honesty of your journey and hope that you continue including me in your journey in the future, whatever that takes you, because I really have enjoyed yes. our relationship. Yes. Thank you. Same here. And um, <laughs> thank you again. Yes. Well, this concludes episode 35 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy. Kristen Nazaro, thank you so much for the interview. I've really enjoyed our conversations throughout the last few months. And this was just, you know, the topper and talking about your own self, your entrepreneurship, your taking four years off, your history and how you perceive mental health. Just all so helpful. And one of the things that she mentioned after the interview, she said, I forgot to mention something important. I want to put this in the conclusion is that she stated to me, she, she didn't tell me this until right now. I, I almost didn't call you on the first time. She said that, you know, she had to get over some of her fears and negative self-talk and decided to contact me. And, you know, we really bloomed a great relationship. So very happy that she called me and that we continue this uh, relationship. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Episode 36 is a personal conversation I wanted to have with my audience in regards to why therapists are so exhausted. I think there's a lot of stuff going on that people uh, have realized in their own life, but being a therapist during a pandemic, as well as um, other things that are happening during that time has been very difficult on us. So I do hope you tune in for my next episode. Please like subscribe or follow this podcast on your favorite platform a glowing review is always helpful and as a reminder this podcast is for information educational and entertainment purposes if you are struggling with a mental health or substance abuse issue please reach out to a professional counselor or therapist for consultation